1: Welcome to another episode of the Unveiling Grace Podcast. I'm Lynn Wilder. And I'm
2: Joel Grote. And this is part two in our series on kind of like help. I'm being drawn to this performance religion or I'm being drawn back to one that I've already left. And in the last episode, we just talked about some of the feelings, the desires, the things that leave you vulnerable to being drawn back, what people are drawn back to. Um, We're not going to rehash all those. So go to the previous episode for that. But in this episode, what we want to talk about is the triggers. In other words, there are certain things that can happen, and these can be positive or negative, that can actually open up this desire or this sense or create the sense of loss or desire to go back. And so we just want to talk about some of those triggers, um, what they look like, what they can look like, and, um, and just that they can be positive or negative. So sometimes a positive thing, and one of the things that I, as I've talked to people about, um, a positive trigger can be like just, um, a certain group of people or a place you've gone to, um, or different events, which is often why holidays are so hard because holidays mostly are positive, not always for everybody, but so like for me, um, a real positive trigger for me, that's recently, it's actually become a negative is like A&W root beer restaurants. I don't know if you have those. I know they were a Michigan chain. I think they may be outside of Michigan, but in the hometown, the farming hometown, rural community where I grew up, that was like the only like fast food restaurant in the place. And it was, it was a staple. It was right at the corner of main street and the main street that went out to where we lived. And so whenever I'd go back to visit family there, that was the one place we went. And it was the place where I would get soda or as we call it, Michigan, I'd get pop, I'd get root beer. And they always provided the option was to get root beer in a frosted mug. They would put the mugs in the freezer and bring them out and then fill them with root beer, cold root beer. And so you have frost on the outside and some ice. Anyway, it was just amazing. And so anytime I'd see an A&W root beer, it would be a positive trigger of those happy childhood memories and that small hometown that, you know, we moved away from when I was five, that we did go back to visit family. But the reason it's kind of become a negative for me is because the a and route that stood on the corner for like my whole childhood and growing up years, and even all the way through college is gone. We just drove through that same small town oh. this past weekend to visit my son and daughter-in-law who moved up to that area of Michigan. And I knew it was gone. So it wasn't a total shock, but Driving past that corner instead of the A&W root beer, it's a big old Rite Aid pharmacy and it just doesn't belong. And so A&W still has lots of positive memories for me. But so but so that's a that's an example of a of a trigger for happy family memories for things. And so it reminds me of that hometown and and things like that. And so the triggers don't have to be necessarily negative. And I mean, Lynn, you were a member of the LDS faith for decades. I don't know that I remember the exact number of years, but 30 30 years. Okay. 30 years. And you were saying to me um, when we were like wrapping up and getting ready to do this one that 15 years out, because you've been out for 15 years now, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. You still have triggers.
1: Yeah, so. can you imagine that? My daughter-in-law last summer, we were talking about how it's almost like having PTSD, where yeah. things even that you think you've put to rest <laughs> and <laughs> moved on from can haunt you. can Can come back to haunt you, and because of your past experience, sometimes your reaction to these triggers is is not very <laughs> nice or normal. <laughs> yeah. uh, and you've been dealing with me now for three years plus, mm-hmm. and you, I know you've picked up on some of my triggers. Certainly one of them coming out of Mormonism has been the way that I felt like I was treated by males, right? And so yeah. I'm like hypersensitive, even when, when men don't, think that they're trying to be dominant or um, diss me or anything, I, sometimes the, my hackles just stand up. And I honestly think that comes from the feeling that priesthood always controlled my life. So yeah. here, here's an example.
2: Okay. <laughs> Several
1: years ago, Mike and I were on the John Ankerberg, he's a Christian apologist, TV show 2011-2012 yes. with Sandra Tanner, the great-great-great-granddaughter of Brigham Young, and we did a six-week series. My husband put on a suit. He had to in order to be on that television (laughs) show. And that was the first time he had on a suit and tie, white shirt and tie and suit since we'd left the Mormon church. I could not believe what just reared up in me as far as feelings. And I remember after we were done recording, just saying to him, please take it off (laughs) because I was having all these triggers of times, right? When some Mormon leader thought he had some revelation for my life or was controlling one of my kids or, you know, it just, it brought back all this negativity yeah. That I overreact to <laughs> because yeah. it's a trigger for me. Right. Right. Because, and I'm aware because it brings, of
2: it. Yeah. Because it brings back that feeling of being controlled, of being dominated unfairly, of being, of even the expectation that as a woman, there's no way you're going to have equal value to contribute. It's it just, it's you because simply by being female, you are automatically at a lower level of influence, static, and yeah. Yeah, for... not
1: necessarily that I feel that way, but that other people are going to see me that way, right? right. And so I react to what I think right. they're, and... they're playing that out, right? And, right. And, they're, and... and mostly mostly, it's nothing. It just comes from uh, my bad experiences in the past. Yeah, yeah.
2: so, and, and it's very good to be aware of these. Part of the reason we're bringing these up is because if you're aware of what triggers you and why then when it does happen because i don't think you know my sense is i don't think we can control our triggers in other words we can't say well i'm just not going to let that affect me we're too integrally wired things make deep ruts um we carry scars It'd be like somebody saying who has a really sensitive section on their skin because they got burned to say, well, I'm not going to let that be sensitive anymore. Well, no, you can't help it because of what happened. The trauma, the past trauma, that is always going to be a tender spot. And if you bang it or somebody brushes against it or something happens, but you can then control where it wants to take you. And so, you know, that's our encouragement is if you recognize the trigger, you can let grace move into that. You can let Jesus be enough to say, okay, no, this is not true. Um, this narrative that I was given about myself is a false narrative. And even though, even something as simple as how somebody is dressed might trigger the narrative, I don't have to believe that narrative. Um, so, yeah. Um The other thing besides places was like events. So like sporting events, dances, even going into church um, as something that can trigger. um, So if a church service is real traditional, you might even have a hymn played in church that used to play at the LDS church. And that was a positive.
1: You just brought to mind an example. Yes. I went into a church one time. I can't remember if we were speaking there, okay. but the pastor was very clear that we could not take communion if we were not a member of that church. Right. And again, oh, that sure. hearkened yeah. to me back to Mormonism, all these rules and regulations rather than me determining whether the Holy Spirit lived in me and whether <laughs> I thought I was worthy enough to take the sacrament. Right. Yeah. Um, tremendous trigger for me. Um, wow.
2: <laughs> and, I can see I, that. Yeah
1: think that kind of legalistic um, Christian faith within evangelical or, or, in, you know, the traditional Christian faith also triggers former Mormons often. And, okay, but it's a two-edged sword. It's as if you want the guidelines, <laughs> but you <laughs> don't want that. somebody to tell you what to do. <laughs> right. And, yeah.
2: And like, and I guess, let me, I just want to say this so it gets said, life is messy. And so if you don't take away anything else from this, just know it's not easy. And if you're transitioning, expect to run into this. And as Christians, if you run into a transitioning Mormon or somebody's transitioning from a different performance religious group, please give lots of grace. Yeah. And please feel free if somebody does seem to react in the extreme or out of the ordinary, then rather than get hurt, use a little divine curiosity and maybe pursue that with them gently to say, hey. That seemed like that really evoked a strong reaction. Any idea what that might be from? Because that's that doesn't seem like you, but it was you. So I think there are ways that we can use this, but well, it, it's, it can be really messy.
1: Someone, someone taught me once, took me to that scripture in Revelation. Jesus is the God of your is, your was, and your is to come. So he's the God of your present, your past. And your future. And and this person said, sometimes Jesus has to go into your was with you, you know, rather than burying it or ignoring it or avoiding it. There are things from your past that you might need to go and face and deal with and figure out why those triggers are happening but take jesus with you and let him be the gentle one to do the work and sometimes it's little by little he takes you there once and then two years later you go there again right until this until there's this healing that can happen so that that can be a scar instead of an open wound and the, the other the other person said um So when Jesus goes into your past, then your is to come, your future can be more healed and better. And your relationship with Christ um, is what makes the difference, right? We all have those wounds from our past. And they probably don't need to be ignored. They probably need to be dealt with. But it's important that we take Jesus with us to deal with those things and deal with them little by little in a way that works so that healing can happen. Yeah.
2: And something we're going to get to, I don't know if it's in this episode or the next one, is this whole concept of core lies Mm. that we believe that come out of those. And that's really the next thing. But I want to go into... Um, I want to go into some of the other triggers. Now, the other positive trigger is just positive experiences. So either spiritual experiences or family experiences, even relational romantic um, experiences can be triggers that when you go into something similar with somebody else can trigger you to have memories of your past relationship that draw you back. So just, um, something to, something to keep in mind.
1: And because in performance-based religion, the, the man had such a strong, uh, headship role, both spiritually and physically, um, my marriage changed once I came to Christ. Then you've got Christ in the middle and husband and wife and, um, and headship is totally different right under yes. this context and and we'll we have talked about that and we'll talk about that some more but things can move on and they can um be better they can be different and they can right. be better i've been uh talking to a man probably three or four years that totally knows intellectually that Mormonism is not Christian. His wife won't go into the Mormon church. She keeps telling okay. him, if you just leave, I'll go to church with you. And yet he can't just leave. Really? Right? Okay. Um, yeah, there. And has he I,
2: identified what it is that's is that's got the stronghold on him?
1: He says it's community and his calling. He gets so okay. many warm fuzzies, right? From yeah. being somebody of authority that has a position that's good at his position that everyone recognizes yeah. that it's really hard to walk away from.
2: right? And, and for a man, so much of his identity is wrapped up in what other people think of you, the whole respect, the whole significance yeah. component. And yeah, the LDS church is masterful at as long as you're... In and participating and doing your part, they just lavish the praise and the attaboys, and you're so wonderful, and you are just an amazingly called, gifted person. And yeah, the minute you walk away, all that gets withdrawn because it's all so conditional. So, okay, well, somebody to pray for. Um, Sounds like he'll at least have some support if he ever does choose to make the decision if his wife's waiting on the other side. So, um, Certainly,
1: um, holidays are triggers. Even now, sometimes for me, within Mormonism, expecting to have all my extended family here with mom and dad and all the grandkids, and you know, that's a very <laughs> traditional Mormon thing to have everybody come home for Sunday dinner and that kind of stuff. And now my kids are Christians and they're way too busy for that. (laughs) (laughs) Doing their own home. So
2: I want to also talk about some of the negative triggers because these are usually more readily identifiable. And I think they tend to be more potent. They tend to have more power in a negative way to push people back. And again, I've, as I was working through it and trying to lay it out, I just, I came up with like four I words that are part of these negative triggers. So once again, I'm gonna just kind of run through and list what the four I words are so they know what we're talking about. And if there's any one of them that tends to jump out, though they tend to play one into the other. So so I'll just I'll just throw them out there so we've got them on the table. So the first is a sense of isolation. So there's a sense of loneliness. The question, so does anybody else share my pain? Um, is there anybody else with me on my journey? That can very often happen, no matter who you are. Where these thing, And that's one of the questions you ask. So, okay, I'm going through this. Am I alone? And people who have left a performance-based religion can feel this sense of isolation. Um, the second one is a sense of insecurity. And feeling alone often leads to feeling insecure. So does anybody really love me? Does anybody really care what's happening to me? Um, And there's more about trust and all that, but that can very often lead into what we just talked about with this guy, with this man you were saying, which is a sense of insignificance. So does what I do matter? Do I really have what it takes to be a partner, a parent, a professional? Those questions of significance or insignificance Um, you can start to feel those when you've walked away from a performance-based religion that's basically defined your life for you and your worth and your value. And again, especially for men, although women have callings and I have heard from plenty of LDS women who um, were very involved and had all sorts of authority within their callings and lots of recognition and respect and admiration and helped so many people. And then when that was gone, felt a huge hole. And then the fourth one is, A sense of incompetence. So that's the question. So will what I do make a difference? Am I competent enough? Can I pull this off without looking like a fool or looking like a failure? And even leaving some people may be faced with the question. So is there anything now that I really am good at? Will I ever be worthy of somebody else except of somebody else's acceptance or their love or their approval? So those are kind of the four I negative triggers that people feel the isolation, insecurity, insignificance, incompetence. I'm gonna let you jump in wherever you want.
1: Well, you asked the question, um, does anything in my life matter, right? Did anything that I do back then matter? And how do I find that significance now? You're not going to like this answer. I don't think the <laughs> listeners are going to like this answer. I honestly don't think that anything that I did in 30 years of Mormonism um, uh, mattered. Why? I, did, I was not in Christ. I did not have the Holy Spirit living in me. The Holy Spirit was not directing my life. I was simply marching to someone else's tune. When I came to Christ and the Holy Spirit set up residence in me, he began to do the most amazing things. And I had significance be, first of all, because I was in Christ and I had a relationship with Christ took me several years really to know who I was in Christ and, and how that worked. Oh my gosh, I got so bold, you know, (laughs) this little (laughs) passive Mormon woman, I was bold in Christ because I knew who he was. And I began to know, kind of have a sense of why he called me, right? we're yeah, called. True. So Mormons will say, but I had a purpose. And, I, and I'll and i say to them, you have no idea. <laughs> I mean, it says in the scriptures that he calls you for his purposes, right? You literally have something to do that has to do with his grand plan. And it may simply be bringing your husband's mother to Christ, but but your life is already set up and he will set it up even more so, so that you can have true and abiding and long lasting and forever significance. I never would have wanted to, to write a book. I wouldn't have wanted to be public. All of this was God's idea. For his purposes so that Mormons leaving the faith can look to somebody who used to be a BYU professor and say, wow, if she can be a theist and believe in God, right? If she can leave Mormonism and find something better, then maybe I can too. Um, God has that kind of a wonderful purpose for your life, but you need to submit your life to him.
2: Right. And... That's one of the amazing things about grace is part of grace is God has dreams for every single one of us. And he wants us to, he wants to release us into those dreams, but it's not going to happen until we trust him with who we are and with his plan Um, in, in this course I'm teaching on the, the new covenant, old covenant difference for this group of African pastors and leaders that I've mentioned. It's an online course that I'm doing right now. As we're talking about the new covenant, what keeps coming up is the whole sin thing, because sin is what separates us from God and how sin could never be totally and finally dealt with under the old covenant. Um, It just, it wasn't possible. And yet, as I've been doing additional reading and studying, what's come up is that really, sin isn't our biggest problem. It's the fruit of our biggest problem. But the root of our biggest problem is the fact that our disposition is to do our own will, not God's will. We're until we're in Christ until we're regenerate, we don't even have an idea of what it means to look for the father's will and to do the father's will, to submit our will to his will. So we're all born addicted to ourselves, Um and it's an addiction that's just as deadly as any addiction you want to name alcoholism or drugs or pornography or rage or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so it struck me as I was like working through this material for the class and I'm doing my online course tomorrow. And so I'm kind of like going through my final notes that within Mormonism, there's never any sense of letting go of your own will and Being totally submitted to the will of the father, because so much of it's about you from beginning to end. And so even when you talk about sin with LDS people or people in performance-based religions, they're still so focused on the fruit, the external sins that we commit, that they miss that at the root of that is this whole desire to do what I want to do, how I want to do it. I'm the master of my own fate. I'm the captain of my own ship. I'm going to be the God of my own world this is my trajectory. And that runs totally counter to the gospel of grace and to the new covenant where we get the life of Christ put in us. And so now the same submission that he had to the will of the father becomes our submission to the will of the father. And our purposes and plans are only found when we enter into that relationship. So
1: in, in our book, Leaving Mormonism, Why Four Scholars Changed Their Minds, my very favorite chapter is the last chapter of the book. I begged Corey to write this chapter with me and the very last section of that chapter I wrote and it says, so you still want to be your own God. So in Mormonism, it's all about you and your works and your ability to earn your way to become a God. But once you leave Mormonism, if you don't find Christ and submit your will to his, you're not any better and you're not in a different place. You still think you're the smartest thing that ever lived. And there's no God smarter than you because you can take a smorgasbord and choose this and choose that. And it's all good. No, Freedom comes only in submitting your will to the Father and allowing Him to run your life. And and only then do things change, and they change profoundly.
2: Right. And that's, interestingly enough, and we'll probably have to close with this because we're at time, is this is always what Jesus addressed with people. Because Jesus dealt with people who were moral to a fault. I mean, the Pharisees were basically blameless when it came to the law. Uh And he dealt with people who were on the far side, the tax collectors and sinners, the dregs of the earth. And he really didn't care who he was dealing with or what their level of morality was. What Jesus was concerned about is what's your disposition toward me? How do you view me? And are you willing when I say, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, Uh take my yoke upon you. Are you willing to do that? Yes or no? And you can be morally superior or the total opposite. And you can either say yes or you can say no to that. And that's really what determines your eternal outcome and where you're going. So anyway, just
1: one of the last scriptures that took me to surrender was, these are the very scriptures that testify of me. Yet you, Lynn Wilder, refuse to come to me. have life. I could intellectualize that Bible all day long, and yet it said it was about submitting my will to His. And that was a whole new idea, very foreign, coming from performance-based religion. And that changed everything.
2: Yeah, so cool. Well, we still have to talk about core lies, and so we're going to do one more episode to wrap this up so thank you lynn thank you for being so candid with even your triggers i know some of that's kind of personal and it kind of brings out some stuff but you know we're all a work in process that's the beauty of the gospel because <laughs> we sure. never arrive and so it doesn't matter who we are where we come from uh we're all a mess and grace equally covers all of us with incredible love so we're blessed people so
1: thank god for the authenticity of christian faith
2: yeah grace
1: and peace to you until next time. time. So long.
0: Thanks so much for listening to the Unveiling Grace podcast. You can find show notes and leave us your comments and questions at unveilinggracepodcast.com. We have an exciting announcement. Michael Wilder's new book, Passport to Heaven, is out. And for a donation of $20 or more to the podcast, will send it to you it's the true story of a zealous Mormon missionary who discovers the Jesus he never knew just go to Podcast.com and click on the Micah's book button to get yours we appreciate your support of the unveiling grace podcast where you can experience a grace that heals